This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear simple minds on the stereo. So, next time you're in the Chicago area and you want that classic arcade experience, don't you forget about the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, Carrington Vanston's podcast. I'm okay with this. <laughs> Actually, it is our podcast where we discuss <laughs> classic arcade games. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing all right, Carrington. How are you? Brace yourself. I'm fantastic. Let <laughs> me bracing. <laughs> My continued fantasticness is continuing, which is itself pretty fantastic. Life's awesome. That is pretty darn fantastic. New personal best. Woohoo, go me. <laughs> um, yeah, things, things are great. It's starting to warm up here in Toronto. Hooray. The temperature has been above zero. Huzzah. And we got a bit of rain, but that just washed away the snow. So everything is fab. What about you? Well, it's, we thought it was warming up here, and then we got eight inches of snow a couple of days ago. That's a lot of snow. Of course, then it, it, uh, the next day was completely melted, and you couldn't, you couldn't tell that it had snowed at all. That's a lot of melting. It is. Cool. So weather. You know, we're here to talk about the weather. No, I, I, other than that, it's been kind of a, a quiet week, just busy at work and uh, hanging out and playing video games. We are recording later than usual. My fault. I wasn't able to record on Thursday, so it's been bumped all the way till Monday. So we are now recording on Monday afternoon and we'll be publishing on a Monday. So this will be the, one of the first times we've recorded and published on the same day. It's always Carrington's fault. <laughs> it's often my fault. <laughs> Yes. This is the Carrington's Fault podcast. Yes, it is. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, I'm looking forward to We've got some great feedback this week. Got some really interesting news and a game that's going to blow everybody's mind. Prepare your minds, listeners. No, Prepare them. no it's not. You don't want to play this game. Don't. <laughs> hey, I'm not saying people should play Walk it. Walk <laughs> away from the arcade cabinet. <laughs> I'm just saying it's going to be a weird show, folks. <laughs> ready for a bumpy ride. Um... So, so feed me some back, Carrington. I'm going to feed you some back. First, we got feedback from the fellow you cheat on me with on your other podcast. Oh, shame on you. I hate uh, it when I Ken do that. Ken wrote in with the subject, Twin Galaxies, is it back? And he put two question marks at the end of that sentence. So you know it's a serious question when you're double <laughs> question marking. Especially from Ken. Exactly, because that boy can write, uh, as witnessed from his magazine. <laughs> so um, TwinGalaxies.com has, I was going to say gone live, has really has changed again. And what it's hosting at the moment is a very long open letter by Jace Hall, who is the new custodian and caretaker, and how he puts it, of Twin Galaxies. Oh, so they have, so. yeah, they've acquired the original uh, Twin Galaxies servers, and they're working to recover all the lost data. It looks like they can get it all back, and they say within 30 days they should be able to bring up a new website and go right back to where they were before, with some changes. One of the big ones being they're no longer going to charge people to uh, to view your submissions or to post the uh, the scores. So that's a change. That would kind of annoy me. I mean, doesn't everything annoys me, but <laughs> if I had submitted a score and paid money for it and then had it listed for two weeks or a month and now it's down and, and I've, I'm out the money and they're, they're not charging for scores anymore. I mean, am I getting a refund? I kind of doubt it. What kind of money did it used to cost? Like, I know they used to do it for free and they brought in that charging thing. So what did after, it cost them for a while? After Richie Knuckles' his, his ownership group uh, bought... Bought the property from Walter Day. They started, it was $25, but it was $25 for however many scores you submitted per bunch. So if you submitted one score, it was 25 bucks. If you submitted 10 scores at once, it was $25. If you submitted two scores, one on Monday and one on Tuesday, then it was $25 each. Got it. Okay. So not a huge amount of money, but still just to submit a score... I guess they have to because they have to watch your video or what have you. And I totally agree that I would be a bit miffed too if you 
paid on a Monday, say, and then the site was only up for a week and then they closed. And now they're back saying, oh, God, now it's free. So people that paid quite some time ago, I guess, if that was running for a while, I can see, well, you know, you got your 25 bucks worth or 250 worth if you did 10 scores. Um, but yeah, so they, now the, the facts in the, in the letter, FAQs, those kind of facts in, in this long <laughs> letter that Jace has posted online, does sort of address this. He, he talks about will Twin Galaxies be charging? And they say no. As long as Jace is the head dude, they're never going to be charging for score submissions or adjudication again, period. But then he does address this whole refund issue. He says, um, where is it? Here it is. What about the people who actually paid the previous ownership the submission fee? He says, in regards to the people who have paid the submission fee when it was temporarily installed, Twin Galaxies hopes to provide you with a full refund. So that was news. I wonder if they can pull it off, though. Well, I, I guess it depends on how many people are actually going to demand a refund. It also depends on, I guess, how they're bringing in new money, because it's not that they would be... Even calling it a refund is a little weird, because it's not that they got the money. The previous ownership got the money. They've now taken it over, presumably paid for the brand. So they're strictly in the hole. They'll have to dig into their own pockets to give back that money. But I guess it also depends on... I mean, maybe that's not, it, it, it's not, it can't be 10,000 people have submitted this. It can't be a massive amount of money. Well, and it looks like this, uh, this Jace Hall, whose who's real name is Jason Hall, um, is... So he's not even using his real name. <laughs> that's right. He does have his own wiki page. Uh, he's, and it, this describes him as an American film, television, and video game producer, best known for being founder and CEO of Monolith Productions and current president of HD Films Incorporated. And he has a list of uh, video games credited, including Fallout New Vegas, Shaolin Ooh. Showdown, Batman Begins, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He was the executive producer of uh, the V um, series that was revived and lasted for like a season and a half or something. Oh, like the new that. one, so, right. Yeah. Right. So he's uh, – I wonder if this is something that he's decided to do on the side because he loves video games and doesn't care if it, if it costs him a little bit. And like I think, like I said, I don't, I don't think it would be a huge amount of money to, to, to refund those. And at least it shows that their hearts are in the right place. Like if they're saying, look, we're trying to make this right. Let's go up and, and, and set it up and bring it back. It's, it's, it's very unfortunate that there was this down period. So mm -hmm. and if it had been just online, transferred to new owners and off you go and they bring in a new policy and do refunds or what have you, I think they'd be in a much better position than having it basically go away. People have found their scores now elsewhere and now they're back. And speaking of which, it, it specifically addresses the scores being elsewhere. It says Twin Galaxy's score database was copied and is now being displayed on another website. So that was, I guess, one of the questions, sure. like yeah. the, one of the topics. And they, he responds by saying, we're aware that other sites... Use, are utilizing an unauthorized duplication of the Twin Galaxies score database. Well, we do understand that the absence of Twin Galaxies database and website created a demand for that information, and these sites were merely attempting to provide a service to the community. We would ask that these sites now please remove our database from their systems as their services in that regard will no longer be required. What say you, Mike? Well, and in fact, we have been referencing champow.com for mm -hmm. our scores recently, and that's they're pulling... They, I guess, have about an 80% complete version of the database, and they've been pulling scores from that. Uh, I know they're not the only ones. Um, and this is sort of w a, a kind of weird territory. I mean, if they're just politely asking, then sure, you know, I, I get that I get that they would want that. Now, I don't know, like, if, if somebody said, no, I'm not taking it down, what are you going to do about it? If <laughs> And they took it to court. I don't know that you could uh, – and again, I'm not a, law a lawyer, of course, but I don't know what you could do with that because <clears> – <throat> You can okay, so you can copyright the presentation of data like that, but so so if you wanted to publish your own copy of Beowulf, for example, that's public domain, and 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 Harper Collins or whoever is producing copies of Beowulf can't sue you for making your own. But if you but when you package it, you know you've got your own cover and your own fonts and and number of pages and things like that, that's what can be copyrighted so that you can't just go into a store and grab HarperCollins' books and put your name on them and say, look, it's mine now. Mm -hmm. And in this case, what we, if we're dealing with just a list of high scores, basically the person who got the score, the date, the location, and the score itself, those are simply facts. And it's not something you can copyright. Like if you can copyright the the actual recording of a baseball game, for instance, but you can't say I'm copywriting or trademarking the fact that the game took place and these were the teams and these were the scores. So I think if somebody 
takes that info and says, well, I'm just posting it. This guy played this game at this location and got this score. I don't think there's anything Twin Galaxies can do about it. And I, I guess it'll come down to whether, I mean, these other people did step up and are now doing their own websites. Are they going to just want to walk away that now that Twin Galaxies is back? I don't know. Mm, should be interesting to see. Mm. I did notice uh, one paragraph in there that um, I guess could be good news or could be bad news, depending on how you feel about Walter Day. But it looks like the current ownership group uh, is maybe distancing itself a little bit from Walter. Um, and it says that uh, he's so Walter and Richie Knuckles and Jordan had this thing where they would produce these baseball style cards of, of the greatest, you know, video game players. And there was a Billy Mitchell card and a Walter Day card. And there were a whole bunch of them and you could get them signed at shows and it was fun. But, uh, and it says that Walter will be allowed to continue to produce these cards through the end of 2014. And then there's kind of a, well, we wish him well, uh, sort of a sentiment. They don't come out and say, Hey, we're done with the guy, but it it looks like they're going in their own direction. So Mm. uh, again, depending on how you feel about Walter, that may be good. That may be bad. It does seem to be an amicable split, though, because there's a letter on there from Walter saying, hey, this looks exciting and I wish them well. But again, that also is a way of saying, I wish them well. I'm not part of it. So we will see. It doesn't seem to be a huge amount of drama behind the scenes. It seems to be like, okay, let's bring it up. This guy has stepped up. He's going to run it. Uh, The previous management are happy to sort of hand it over. Somebody's going to really do something with it. And looks like his heart's in the right place about getting rid of the submission fee and even doing refunds of money that he didn't personally even take in. So we'll see. I'm trying to keep an open mind and we'll see what comes of it. It could end up being a very exciting thing for the, for the classic game uh, community. So we'll see. Cautiously optimistic. Way to go, you. <laughs> so this week we, we, got, um, we got some great email. I love, I love the email that we get in. And we, we often get <laughs> short emails, little things, little facts, little tidbits, sometimes just a one sentence or one word or a little paragraph. And they're great. We get great short email. But we also sometimes get great long email that is so well written and just so entertaining. So I got a couple of those I want to bring up because it's just so much fun. And we got a fantastic one from Rob McMullen. He writes in Mr. Eyelashes slash Mr. Zero to Two Cabinets in One Week. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Listening to your podcast on my Bluetooth headset has made me make it through the long nights rocking my baby to sleep at 2 a.m. On occasion, I've even finished listening to a podcast to make sure he's still asleep before putting him back in his crib. You've inspired me to build a main cabinet to play all the games I grew up on and eventually share with my kids. I mostly gave up on arcades when I got my Atari 800. Then he, then he writes, Banhammer defense below. So we'll get to his Banhammer defense in a second. <laughs> So most of the interesting games for me are pre-83-ish, except for Rampart, which sounds awesome, but I've never seen. I don't know half the games you feature, which could also be partly due to living in the Midwest. Maybe only the top games made it there. I enjoy hearing about the games I missed, and I'm dying to get my cabinet going so I can play with real controllers. Then he inserts his ban prevention. He says, the first home games I ever played were on an Apple II. Early games like Sabotage and Choplifter, games that weren't duplicated well on the Atari. Choplifter with the potentiometer joystick made for such smooth control. I still raided a friend's house after I got my Atari to play. So so what say you, Mike? Does that let him uh, avoid a ban? Well, he's not a Commodore user, so those are pretty much the people that we ban around here. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So says Mike. I, I'm with you on that. So um, Atari Connections led me to your podcast, he goes on. Surfing something like this. Antic, the Atari 8-bit podcast, led him to Kevin Savitz, which led nice. him to Kansas Fest, which led him to some crazy picture of four dudes sitting on a washing machine, which led him to us hit no quarter. I like that whole path. And Antic and Kevin, uh, well, Kevin's actually part of Antic, but all of that. Totally, totally fantastic. Good, good choice of things to lead you here, I say. Um, he goes on to say, I listened to the Rampage episode first and loved it. Then Crazy Climber and other games I knew. Then since I was clearly going to listen to them all, I started from the beginning and worked my way through at about 10 per week, which sadly Whoa. is the rate at which I can enjoy anymore. That's crazy, dude. You can cause yourself harm listening yeah, to 10 awesome. of these a week. <laughs> Slow down. And so he says, but I digress. There are tons of cabinet ideas out there. I like the look of the Tempest cab, so that's my current plan. I'm horrible at artwork, so I'll probably just paint the sides white and the front black to match the color scheme of the original Tempest. I'm sure the Tempest artwork would cause nightmares for my three-year-old, and less sleep is not something I need. So he says, I'm planning a modular 
control panel. So I can play stuff like Tron, Rampart with two trackballs, Robotron, track and field, etc. While avoiding the Franken panel syndrome. Because I grew up with the iconic Atari joystick, I'm planning on creating a separate joystick and button panels so I can have a layout with a joystick on the right and buttons on the left, which, as we've discussed in some episodes, is not typical of later games. Uh, there's a, And he gives us a link to, he says, there's a well-documented modular panel here. And the link is over to a um, beersmith.com slash MAME. I'm going to have that link in the show notes because... It might be well-documented, and maybe everybody knows about this, but this was news to me, and it's an amazing-looking cabinet. So instead of being... We've discussed a few modular cabinets. There's the one sort of famous one that's a big rotating thing. This massive... Looks like a... Like a... I don't know, a water wheel on the back of a cabinet that rotates. I'm not really a big fan of that one. There's the one we talked about a week or two ago, that great one where the actual panels just get replaced. You, you swap in a whole panel. And I like that approach. This one over at Beersmith is amazing, because it's... One panel, but divide up in little pieces, and you can slide in the bits you want. And say, okay, I'm going to slide in here, and I'm going to add a trackball, or I'll slide in this bit and just have buttons. I thought it was a fantastic approach. I hadn't seen it before, so I'll make sure we have a link to that in the show notes. I really, really dug it. Nice. Anyway, anyway, to finish up Rob's letter, he writes, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on depth slash size of panel and number of buttons. I don't like fighting games, so I figure maybe three buttons would be all I needed, except for Defender, which I sucked at due to the number of buttons, but it's such a classic. Also, since I'm mostly into early games, I'm hoping I can power it with a Raspberry Pi. Um, all the games I've tried work at full speed, including the Vector games. Oh, and if that weren't enough for a first-time cabinet builder, I would also like to have an auto-rotating monitor similar to this. And he gives us a link to a YouTube video, which I'll throw in the show notes. He doesn't want much, does he? <laughs> but this YouTube video shows it's an, like, it's an LCD monitor. And since, of course, nowadays everything is not 4x3 anymore. You get these 16x9 monitors and why things... So it's a monitor on a harness, and it rotates between horizontal and vertical. So you can just automatically have it rotate into the right orientation for your game. Crazy. So definitely something people should check out. Um, He says, thanks again for the great podcast. I've enjoyed listening to Carrington's streak of being fantastic. Streak that continues, by the way. And I'm interested to hear what will be the 63rd game in Mike's top five. Nice email, Rob. It won't be today's game. (laughs) Are you sure? Oh, quite sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure as well. Oh, listeners, brace yourself for today's game. So awful. So uh, with Rob's letter, a couple of talking points. Um, I think that it's not the fact that he grew up in the Midwest that made him not know half the games we discuss. It's the fact that half the games we discuss are incredibly rare, and Mike and I hadn't heard of them before either. <laughs> right. So we have this list of games that we want to talk about, and that list is generated entirely by user requests, listener requests. So people write in say, hey, talk about this game, and we do. And so a lot of them are very obscure or stuff that, you know, we've never, like you said, never even heard of, let alone seen in an arcade before, uh, which has, for me anyway, turned out to to be a really great thing because I found some some really awesome games that I really love and, and kind of kick myself for having waited this long to, mm-hmm. to play them. Um, but, and you know, there's some stinkers in there like uh, elevator action and things like that. <sighs> but, but uh, beyond that, oh, uh, yeah, this is <laughs> the quality of the games here um, that, that we talk about is, is well, the quality, the, the listeners are not responsible for the quality, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, we seem to have, have uh, our, our listeners seem to have good taste in video games. We'll just leave mm-hmm. it that way. And we'll point this at really interesting games. I, I, I gotta say, I love playing the games I'd never played before. We Shark will eventually, attack. of oh. course, <laughs> Shark we, we will. Ah, so funny. We will eventually get to all the major ones. Like you know, if you can think of the big games, of course we're going to get to all those too. But it's really fun having the the you know the line of more obscure games in the middle. Everybody knows Defender, but not a lot of people have heard of Shark Attack before. And so it's fun <laughs> to get to those and the more obscure ones. Sometimes they're stinkers. Sometimes they're awesome, and it's, you know, I, I like the uh, who-knows-what-you'll-get feeling of, of try, diving into a game I'd never heard of before. Well, and, and there's this weird thing that happens with, with these the popular games, like Frogger and Donkey Kong, I, at least for, Ooh, for myself. Ooh, what are those? Yeah. I, I found that, that I don't have a lot to say that's, that hasn't already been said about these games over and over again since 1980-whatever, so... Uh, actually those bigger games tend to be kind of challenging not just from a, a gameplay standpoint. It's fun to, to talk about some of the stuff that, that nobody's heard of before. And that mm-hmm. way we can just make stuff up and everybody will believe it. 
they can't they can't prove us wrong. You know? Exactly. That's going to be our new approach from now on. Right. I like it. So Rob was asking about control panels, like number yeah. of buttons, that sort of thing. So what about you, Mike? What what do you look for number of button wise when it comes to like a main cat? You're putting together the new mic machine. How many buttons would you put per player? Uh, I would have one stick and one button that floats around the it's stick. One button. Right. And, well, and it sort of fl- floats around. Like maybe I'll, I'll put it like in a little water moat, you know. So, uh, no, so I, I see you're taking my question seriously. <laughs> of course. No, I, I'm looking at my uh, XRK Duo right now. And the XRK has – each stick has eight buttons. There's two rows of three and one row of two below that. And I have found – like like Rob, I am not a fan of fighters and, and I suck at defenders, so I don't need a ton of buttons. I'd say probably 90 to 95% of the games that I play don't take more than three buttons. Um you know, so for me, I would I would need I would put maybe four on there just to have like one emergency button and, and the three mm-hmm. that I use on a regular basis. Yeah, for me as well. I the vast majority of like vast majority of games that I like to play can be done with three buttons or fewer. Usually, it's one or two buttons or even no button. There are a couple of games that I really love that do take more. So because of that, I've tended to lean towards six buttons. Simply then I'm not cutting out games like Defender. Though that said, I don't think you need to try to accommodate every game under the sun. Like if you have a cabinet that can do 95% of what you want, that's going to unlock a huge number of games. And then, yes, there'll be the few games that you can't play. A lot of times they're dictated by even other things. Like maybe your machine, if you're going to do a Raspberry Pi, won't be powerful enough to do the Laserdisc game, say. So there'll be some things that you have to, every once in a while, get yourself in a car and drive over to Arcade, which is something that if you really love these games, you're going to want to do anyway. You're not going to be able to have a main cabinet that will give you the Arcade experience because the Arcade experience is more than just standing in front of a cabinet. So... Since, if you love these games, you should be heading out to RetroCades every once in a while to play them and to experience the rest of what's involved in the arcade atmosphere. And to support your local arcade. Well, totally. But then I don't see any major downside to not having like enough buttons to run everything. So you'll play those games as the special treats when you go out to the actual arcades. They will have Defender. You can play it there. So... Well, I have built six-button cabs. I'm going to be leaning towards three buttons, I think, going forward. I think three, a joystick, three buttons. I like a joystick that can go between eight and four-way, though, because there are eight-way joystick games I'm going to want to play. So I prefer one of the ones that can rotate and not just do a four-way joystick, even though that is most of the games I like. So for me, it's a switchable four-way eight joystick and three buttons. And three bu- three buttons in the truth, baby. And I'm happy. <laughs> Yeah, two thoughts on that. First is if you're going to um, get a switchable joystick, or, or yeah, if you want, to, if you're building the cabin, you are playing games that that are four way, and you're playing games that are eight way. Get a stick that it's easy to rotate, so you don't have to open the cab up and lift the control panel up just to to move a ring forty five degrees. Um, the other advice is. I guess you know if if I were Rob, I would I would make a list of the games that I was playing on a regular basis. Uh, you can either, you know, do it in your head or on paper if you're like me and you can't remember anything. And, and <laughs> you know, after a month or two, see how many buttons these games are taking. And if, if you only need three buttons and put in four, if you're if the games that you're playing are five and six buttons and that's what you got to go for. Good point. Like it. Not really. No. <laughs> well, I'm saying that like. <laughs> um, so Rob had brought up Rampart. And that brings up the other email that I'd like to read. Yeah. Great email from Markington. Yeah, we'll <laughs> yeah. Markington. Skip that. So, <laughs> no way. This is an email mm-hmm. that I will read, and then we will discuss how Mike and I are both insanely jealous. So here, listener, is what makes us jealous. So Markington Gwentherton, I think it's how you pronounce your name. Great that name, That name should way. just have a fanfare that follows it around. I know. Awesome, eh? And that's as somebody named Carrington Whitfield Vanston, I say thumbs up to your name, Mark. I've, in fact, I've heard your, your fanfare as you walk around Kansas. Fest. People say your name and it just plays. <laughs> I have a theme song. So he says, Hey guys, um, my name is Markington Gwentherton, and your No Quarter podcast helped me score a rare arcade machine. I found your podcast a little late, but I've been going through the older episodes of No Quarter basically in order. Your witty banter livens up my long afternoon commute, but little did I expect your reviews would also help me during a recent warehouse raid. 
A local operator decided to downsize a massive arcade collection, and through good fortune, I was given a chance to climb through the arcade tomb. Armed with only a flashlight and my knowledge of no-quarter podcast recommendations, I searched through this epic collection like Indiana Jones hunting a priceless relic. <laughs> Finally, there it was. A genuine, original, three-player trackball Rampart arcade. Oh. Thank you, oh, I'm so jealous. Thank you, Mike and Carrington, so much for your Rampart review. I had just listened to that episode the week before, so I knew exactly what I was looking for at, when I saw the machine. Otherwise, I might have passed it by and not realized what a great game was hiding under the layer of dust. I got the machine home, and after some minor repairs and serious cleaning, Rampart works like a champ. So thanks, you both. Not only do I enjoy your podcast immensely, but I owe my Rampart to you. So if you're ever in the L.A. area, you are welcome to stop by and play the machine that no quarter saved and keep up the great podcast. I'm, you put a, a, a photo of his cabinet in the email. Um, it looks core. It looks brand new. I'm so jealous. Oh, such a great machine. Well, Mark, next time I'm in the Los Angeles area, I will be sure to stop by your house and collect the game that you owe us. <laughs> Is that how that works? I don't think that's how that works. Oh, he owes us for the game. I see. Okay. <laughs> yes. I will be sure to look him up. I want to play it. I just need a, a list of times, Mark, when you're going to be out of the house or at work, you know, in your dress and, and we'll be good. Again, I don't think that's how this works. So well, as if that wouldn't be enough to make us jealous, check out his PS. PS, in case you're wondering, yeah. the Warehouse Raid yielded other great games as well. Rampart is my favorite, but I also snagged the following. Rampage, Championship Sprint, Spy Hunter, oh. Mappy, Rolling Thunder, Mario Brothers, a four-player X-Men, and the Nintendo Super System. Crazy. I'm so jealous. Okay, he's got... He's got my top, I, I would have said top three a while ago, but the more I think about it, I think it's probably the, the, the top cabinet that I lust after most. And I'm not Ooh. talking about necessarily my favorite game because my favorite games don't, don't always have the special cabinets. And so I don't have to have a machine of its own. Okay, good. Because I was going to say my guess would be Mappy because we talked about that. And I know well, that we're both huge fans of that I, game. I'm a big fan of that. And, and Mappy is my wife's. Uh, favorite game, and and I'm looking for that for her birthday, a cabinet for her birthday. But my favorite, my favorite cabinet, I guess, if you um, not necessarily game, is uh, is Spy Hunter, um, and that's because it's not it's not one that you can really play that well at home. You you've got the steering wheel, you've got the pedals, you've got the shift knob, and it just doesn't translate well to Mame. And especially, I think the picture that I saw was the the sit down version of Spy Hunter, which is even even more rare than the stand up, and and so that's um, yeah, you know, you know what, Mark, I, I started this podcast so that I could have these big scores and I could come and like rub it in people's faces like Carrington's. That's why he's the co-host. I, I didn't, I didn't start this podcast so that you could use this information to score on your, uh, on your own. How dare you, sir? Enjoy your ban. <laughs> so one out of two bands so far, <laughs> it's dangerous to give us feedback, folks. You may never be able to listen to us again. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is so totally awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that, that he, um, that he scored that stuff. And, and my wife's parents live in Orange County and we go out there once or twice a year. So Mark, I may actually be knocking on your door here before long. <laughs> I, I'm so jealous for me that like, first of all, that's a great list. I would oh, love yeah. <laughs> like, mm. holy cow. But for me, the one that I'm most jealous of, I think is the championship sprint. Really? Like, that's a cabinet. That's a game that I love. That's a fun and a game, game too. I want to yeah. play on the cabinet. Like that's a, that's a great game to play on the cabinet. I'm, I'm both the rampart and the championship sprint are the ones that make me incredibly envious. I wish I had space for either of them, but I do not. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a, that's a, oh, that's a great, great grab. All of those, well Even done, just sir. any one of those would be amazing. <laughs> so to get all of them, that is, that's a heck of a weekend you had there, Mark. Nicely done. Uh, let's see. In other email, oh, we got, <laughs> Okay, we've got great email, a short one, two, two of them, from Michael Mulhern, friend of the show. He's written in a few times. This was fantastic. So we had a lot of people trying to guess this week's game. Nobody <laughs> even came remotely close, and I enjoy it. For, for the last week, I've been putting out samples. I've been talking about online, really trying to play up this week's game quite a bit to see if anybody could guess, and not one person came even remotely close. I love it. I've had a lot of fun toying with you, dear listeners. Michael wrote in, <laughs> to guess that the game was Battlezone. And he even said he's not seriously thinking it's Battlezone. It's just that he usually can't 
tell what the games are from the samples. So he just guesses Battlezone every week because eventually he'll be right. The way that a, a stopwatch is right twice a day. Although if it's digital, I guess a stopwatch is never right, but whatever. Um, so he's guessing Battlezone. But then the best part is he wrote back to send some Perl code that if you run it, just guesses Battlezone every week until it's right. <laughs> So I love that he's just got like an automated system to just guess battles on every <laughs> week. That is the best way to guess. Very good. Yeah. That's cool. I loved it. I loved it. So it's our first code-based guess, and that's fantastic. Uh, just, yeah, really, really good. So um, on Twitter, Retro Games Party um, sent us uh, some info about the Juno First cabinet that I did not know and we did not mention on the show. That it was a standard Gottlieb cabinet and it was all, that actual cabinet was also used by both Mad Planets and Kubert. So that's a bit of trivia that I hadn't oh, known. Right. So yeah, nice mm-hmm. bit of feedback. I love it when we learn something new from our listeners, so, which happens quite a bit actually. Um, let's see, what else? Um, before, we, before we go on here. Hit me. Uh, you had mentioned a, a, uh, the word retro and the word Twitter together and my the, the three working neurons in my brain suddenly fired all at once and put together a thought, sort of. Ooh. Uh, what happened to the Retro Mame Arcade podcast, guys? Their, their podcast uh, yeah. is no longer out there. If you go to the webpage, it's just a park parking page now and uh, I'm rather disappointed. Me on, too, guys. because I really like the way that they were approaching like taking the, the main aspect of it, which really differentiated their approach from the typical classic arcade discussion podcast. So, yeah. so yeah, hopefully it's go. just a, a temporary snag. I hope so. Maybe they just got into a fist fight on the air or something. <laughs> oh, I hope that too. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that every week when I talk to you, Carrington. <laughs> so um, most of the rest of the stuff we got on Twitter, I got lots of short emails and lots of Twitter DMs guessing this week's game a bunch of people wrote in asking to put the sample online so they could hear just the sample part (laughs) and not have to listen to because it's such an obscure sample so not have to listen to the whole show so i happily did that so i stuck the sample online just the mp3 of that so people could listen and then they wrote in further guesses that were getting broader and broader guessing just the kind of game it was or who the publisher and every single one of you was wrong and i have teased you and taunted you for the whole week and i've quite enjoyed it i'm I'm cruel (laughs) that way um Oh, and I think I've got a note down here just with the word contest. What's that mean, Mike? Well, Carrington, that means that we are having a contest. It's I like that. Yeah, it's it's been a while, I think, and and uh, one of our generous listeners who wishes to remain anonymous has donated some uh donated a poster that we can give away. Was it me? Mm-hmm. It was, you know, you, you nice. just blew your own anonymity. No, well, if they're anonymous, anonymous, I'm going to take credit for it. That's what anonymous <laughs> okay. means, doesn't it? Well, whether whether or not you take credit for it, neither of us actually uh, are eligible to win this awesome poster. Oh. It's a high-quality Space Paranoids poster. <gasps> From Tron? From Tron. Now, this obviously wasn't in the original movie, but it looks like a, a very high-resolution reproduction version of what you saw floating around in Flynn's arcade in the original movie. I would like to just pause this podcast so we can all bask in the glory that is the original, original Tron movie. <laughs> in fact, we're going to go, go watch it right now. And you guys I would go just, watch it right now. We should, you guys should, too. Just pause the podcast and come back when you're done. We'll wait. Oh. Can I so. pause the podcast? <laughs> I, no, I, I saw you have Tron to stay here and listen. It, I saw it when it first came out, and it was f- relatively maligned in the press, and they were all wrong because that movie is awesome from frame one to frame X, X being the last frame. Holy cow, do I love that movie. I loved it at the time. I loved going to arcades and then playing the games based on Tron, particularly Discs of Tron Environmental cam- uh, Cabinet, probably my holy grail cabinet. I love everything to do with that movie. I've even enjoyed the world of Tron and the spinoffs. I wasn't as big of a fan of the the newer Tron movie. Everyone else seems to like it more than me. But holy cow, do I love Tron stuff. And the idea of a Space Paranoids proper, like, actual poster, like, out of the out of Flynn's Arcade, that is a serious something to nab. I want it. I want it so badly. Why can't I enter the contest? <laughs> the donor included a poster for you, Carrington, but I'm not going to give it to you. Worst contest ever. That's right. So we were going to do this a couple of weeks ago, and we couldn't come up with a cool contest for a way for you guys to win. We probably we, still can't. We can't, and I'm not creative at all. So all you got to do is email uh, Carrington 
tweet at Carrington, Facebook Carrington, let him know that you're interested and you want this poster. Tell him, I, th- I want th- that Tron poster. And, I think uh, they should have to send us a line out of the movie Tron. Even better. Send us your favorite line. Anything. Anything at all that's something to do with it. To prove that you've seen the movie. Send us your favorite line out of Tron, and uh, we will enter you in the contest, and we'll pick a random winner next week. Yep. So you can always email us at um, at no quarter at monsterfeet.com. If you just head over to monsterfeet.com, all the links and stuff are there to find us on Facebook and on Twitter, on email, and all of that. So just follow your podcast feed back to us and hit us up with anything that can prove that you've seen the movie <laughs> Tron, a line, a photo of you watching it, like whatever, just Prove to us you've seen this movie. I'm not. This poster can't go to somebody who doesn't bask in the glory that is Tron. Listen to our podcast. What a poster! So, how big is the poster? You know, I don't know. It's bigger than the the apartment. It's bigger than the condo that I'm living in right now. So I can't completely roll it out, but it looks big. That's a big poster. Actually, it's sitting across the room from me, and it's from me, and it's still in the box. Um, so I will check the measurements when we are done recording here, and we will have those in the show notes. I think if it doesn't fit in someone's apartment, they should just have to move. Or they should be forced to hang it outside where all their neighbors can go, wow, that's cool. Want, want, want. Right. So Space Paranoids wasn't a real game. Not that I know of. Well, certainly not uh, when the certainly not when the movie came out. I know that when Disney was doing the run-up um, promotions for the, the new Tron Legacy movie, I think that came out in what, like 2012 maybe? Anyway, they had uh, at San Diego Comic-Con, they – rented out a, a local bar and turned it into a, re, uh, a recreation of Flynn's arcade from the original movie. And there was a space paranoids cabinet in the, the, in the arcade. Now I don't know if it was just a Tron game with space paranoids artwork on the sides, or if somebody wrote an actual playable game. Uh, but yeah, that's awesome. So that reminds me, of another movie game that didn't really exist, but is still fun to talk about, which is The Last Starfighter. That's another amazing movie. You've seen that one, right, Mike? It's like my third favorite movie from the 80s. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. In fact, everybody should now pause the podcast and go watch Last Starfighter. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope you keep it's it up with It's going to be a folks. very long listening experience. <laughs> You're now four hours into our podcast because you had two two-hour pauses to watch films. Your assignment so, this week is to watch The Last Starfighter and the original Tron. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast. So, uh, a while back, this company, I think it was Rogue Synapse. I've been trying to find the, the link to it. A company called Rogue, Rogue Synapse will make main machines, but they will make custom arcade games as well. And they put together a last Starfighter cabinet. Huh. So you can go online, you can download the ROM for the game itself, but they made the actual cabinet, like basically the prop version. Right, well, they didn't make the one for the film, but they made one just like it. So it seems awesome. to me that to go with my Fix It Felix cabinet, what I should be trying to do is just put together arcade cabinets for games that didn't actually exist. So I'll have a Space Paranoids cabinet, a Last <laughs> Starfighter cabinet, Fix It Felix Jr. I would just want to have a whole row of imaginary arcade games, but ones that you can actually play. That'd be the best ever. I'm in. It could be my new theme. I like it. I like it very much. Um, and that then reminded me of another thing that was an actual game, but came back to life after 25 years. And it's in, there's a really interesting write-up over at Kotaku.com. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And it's Rare Arcade Game Killed by Atari Lawsuit Comes Back to Life After 25 Years. So there was Ooh. this game called Meteors by Amusement World. It was in 1980. I think I read about that. I have memories of reading about that in game magazines in like the early 80s about how this Atari killed some some cool game that was coming out. Exactly, because it's kind of an Asteroids-like game. And so Atari stepped in and said, no, 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 shooting rocks in space is ours. They went (laughs) to a lawsuit. And it was a landmark decision, because in the end, after quite the legal fight, the judge ruled that meteors did not infringe Asteroids because, and this was the important because, an idea can't be copyrighted. So this was the case that basically set that into law, that you you can copyright... Uh, uh, the implementation of a game, but you can't copyright just the ideas behind it. So Amusement World won, but unfortunately, this was such a big and drawn-out lawsuit that it was financially ruined anyway and went under. So that totally sucks. So the bad guys lost, but then won in the end. So 
There's a, a fellow named Ian Bogost is a video game designer slash scholar. And over at his website, which we'll have a link to, has a fantastic review and overview of this lawsuit and its legacy. So we'll link to that. But really what I want you to go look at is it's Kotaku site because they have a video there of a fellow named Eric Holnicker. Now, Eric is the son of Amusement World's CEO, Stephen Holnicker, who made the Meteors game. So Eric has found one of these original meteor cabinets and he's cleaned it all up and he's put it into his own arcade. And this is a video of him powering it up for the first time so that people can play it. And so I found that just wonderful to watch. So you have the son of the guy who made this and then went against Atari and had this whole landmark lawsuit finding this meteor's cabinet and launching it again in his own his own arcade 25 years later. Amazing video. So people should definitely check it out. And after you've watched that video, you should go check out patentarcade.com. It's a website that's it's a wiki, it looks like. And it's nothing but the lawsuits of various video arcade video game makers and arcades suing each other. And, and analyses of these suits. Now, when do you think we'll get our names on there? I'm I'm working on it, man. I, I you know, well, there's like the IT law wiki and wiki and things like that. certain wikis that are specific to. Not, not just law, but certain areas of law. And this one just <laughs> happens to be video game and arcade patents and copyright lawsuits. It's pretty interesting if you're into that sort of thing. I am into that sort of thing. I want to sue everybody. Me Wait, too. No, the, other, the other one. I don't Me want to too. sue anybody. I knew it was something like that. <laughs> Very cool. Lots of cool. And, and you know, it's, it kind of brings us back to one of our first things we talked about in the show with the whole... The, you know the, the how much this game sucks this week no the re, the oh. relaunch of twin galaxies and All like right. what what of that can and can't be copyrighted and so we're living in an interesting time that's you know echoing as we're resonating these things that happened many years ago and our, i guess the arcade world will always be a one filled with lawsuits <laughs> so, lawsuits and and imaginary last starfighter games <laughs> i want one of those and i don't want the other can you guess which is which mm. So that's what I got feedback-wise. Um, I'm excited about our contest. Remember, we'll, we'll talk about the end of the show as well. Everyone should write in, prove that you watched Tron. Give me a quote from Tron. Win yourself a massive poster. Um, shall we get to it? Shall we dive in to this week's crazy game that I've been teasing everybody about for a full week? Do we have to? I, <laughs> yes, we have to. That's our Be show excited. for this week, folks. Thanks for listening. Be excited, because we're about to talk about, embrace yourself, dear listener, we're about to talk about the strangest game we have ever talked about in the long history of No Quarter. Yes, the game is called Sorry Charlie. Sorry Charlie, indeed. So this is a game from, I think, 1985. But let's start off by saying I can't tell who made it. Yeah, that, so speaking of, of arcade lawsuits and patent law and things like that, it, it, it seems that, that both that uh, Bally Midway, Williams, and Konami all claim to have made this game. And there was a, a very confusing and convoluted lawsuit uh, that that happened around the time period. And, and the, and, and in fact, the, the judges, what the, the opinion, the courts, whatever they call it, the, the judgment uh, basically couldn't really determine who made the game. And so it was pulled from the market after just a, like, I think less than a month. I mean, it was only out there briefly. So it, mm -hmm. there's a reason you haven't, we weren't able to identify the samples. Well, also the fact that it's, it's obscure and crazy. And <laughs> I don't even understand why people would want to play it, but whatever. So, there's a great, there's a, a Wired Magazine article from last year, 2013, and where they go to the National Museum of Play, and it shows this rare arcade collection at the National Museum of Play. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes, and it talks about some of the things that the guy sees there that are some of the most obscure, weirdest, rarest games available. Like they've got Hercules, which is that huge pinball game that uses a pool cue ball instead of gets it so big. <laughs> they've got the rarest version of Tetris, something I never even heard of before called Tetris Giant, which is what? this big giant Tetris flat panel game. So you can look at the video of that. They have that. a copy of Felix Jr., which is, of, of course, course, crazy rare as well, but also kind of imaginary. They have what's something called the Nintendo Super System, which we just found out one of our listeners just picked up so well well done you which is essentially a super <laughs> nintendo in the arcade anyway still jealous um sonic championship which is a sonic you know sonic the hedgehog but it's a sonic fighter game i never even heard of that before so they got that they have radar scope which we mentioned briefly because that's the game that basically got replaced by donkey kong 
And they not only have the Radar Scope game, but they have this full environmental cab version of Radar Scope. I never knew that existed, so crazy. And wow. then probably the rarest, weirdest, strangest game, I think, in all of history. Sorry, Charlie. So um, this is a game in, in, uh, in good company, I think. Yeah, so you, you ostensibly you play as Charlie, but you don't actually play as Charlie. You play as the turtle that Charlie stands on. So last a week or two ago, we talked about Anteater where... You don't really play the ant eater, you play his tongue. Well, this one you play the turtle that Charlie stands on, so I'm not sure why Charlie gets all the credit here, but <laughs> exactly. you start right. So you start sort of at the edge of a beach and you're trying to make your way past the the turtle is going to lay its eggs after having having made I guess it's mating season and you're sort of swatting away the seagulls as they're trying to steal the the baby turtles that are for whatever reason spawning as soon as they're hatched and running towards back towards the water and then it just gets weirder from there I didn't even realize that those were supposed to be spawned turtles I was like are these spider things like what is coming out <laughs> from behind you that makes a lot more sense now that you say that <laughs> cuz I was like I don't understand what's going why am I standing on this turtle and why are the spiders coming out from behind me hatched turtles that makes a lot more sense now this game is slowly become a little little clearer because i i mean i honestly i could barely even work out the controls for this game got all these freaking levels every level seems to have nothing to do with the stuff from before it like i was like i don't understand what's right. going on yeah. like it like it, you go through these things i'm like i don't get it like i don't get what the theme here is supposed to be so at least that helps me understand a little bit more of the first level so it's turtle spawning like yeah. it and and so as I'm playing this, I, I wasn't – it gets kind of frenetic and crazy because there's all these like little baby spider turtles, whatever you want to call them, making <laughs> their way back to the water. And, and they've got the, the – you've got the seagulls that are trying to swoop down and snatch them and there are the tourists that run by and throw hot dogs at you or something, I, which very, very strange. The graphics in this game are sort of hit and miss. Like I think maybe the levels were designed by different people. You know, I think like, so too. Like entirely that, different people because exactly some levels right. are really great and this one's not so much. And I did find that the graphics look so different. From It really did seem like, okay, now we're taking level two out of a completely different game. And I think it probably was designed by multiple people. And that's why this lawsuit has so much difficulty sorting out ownership because different people from different companies end up contributing different levels, I guess. So – as I'm playing, I, I'm i seeing my score go up a little bit as I'm saving these cute little baby turtles. And and I get distracted and I look back and my score, I, I swear, had gone down. Yep. And so I start paying attention and I'm watching. And every time you lose a turtle, this, this seems to be a unique uh, – I don't know if it's unique to this game, but it's not something you see a lot. You actually can lose points for doing poorly. So And you can dip below zero. You, <laughs> I was down Damn, to like negative – almost always. Negative 1,500 points at the end of the first level. And what is going on here? Totally. I would rarely ever be at a point where I was back to zero. In fact, I probably would do better at this game, like beginning to play, and then die as quickly as you can. Because the less time you play, probably the better score you're going to have. Because I go to these levels. And also the fact that you don't always get the same levels in the same order. So I'm playing it. And I'm like, oh, here's level two. Why is this totally different than my previous level too? It's like, I don't understand. You always start off with this turtle thing, but then it goes off into whatever. I remember like the second level I would usually get would be the one that I guess is obviously inspired by Donkey Kong because you basically got the big enemy at the top rolling the stuff down at you while you and your turtle riding are trying to make it to the top over these little platforms. But of course, instead of a big monkey, it's basically a big ice cream cone and he's scooping out parts of his own head to throw at you. And I'm like, I keep dying because it's hard to look away from a boss when he's making these awful, I guess, crying sounds because he's scooping away more and more of his own head to attack you with. And I was like, I don't understand this game because you, you, you're trying to jump these little platforms on your turtle and there's these ladders and you can stop to eat the ice cream blobs he's throwing at you, but it's awful. I mean, you're eating the ice cream, and every time you do, the boss guy's running around all upset, and I'm feeling guilty, and I'm like, am I not supposed to do this? Am I, why am I losing points? I don't understand. And like, why are you throwing bits of your own head at me? I, uh, so anyway, so you get to the top of that, and you got to eat the, well, I thought it was like this tree thing, but I guess it's supposed to be broccoli, because we're going all this food-based stuff. And then the ice cream guy just basically melts and cries, and I'm like, what the heck? Were you the enemy or was I supposed to save you? What's going on? This game like, is a mind melter. I'm like, I, I just, I had so diff- a lot of difficulty getting my head around what was going on. And the game just like basically gets weirder from there. Yes. Yeah, so I've seen the mechanic, you know, before where 
the bad guy will pull a piece of himself to throw at you. But I've never seen it be like a painful experience for, mm. for the bad guy. You know, normally it's just like, oh, here's a piece of blue pixels that match the ones that were in my side and I'm throwing them at you. This thing was was disturbingly realistic, I guess, if, if you mm-hmm. could call scooping somebody's brains out and throwing them at you realistic. But and, and again, then the music in, in this level changed just like the graphics did. It's just completely different. It's very, it's a very disjointed and, and incongruous experience. And, and I didn't like it. And the more I played it, the more I hated it. Now, and the fact that the, the mechanic of losing points into the negative really lets you know how bad you are at this game. You know, <laughs> I, I ended up kind of like you because I found the score so ridiculous oh. that I would move on and go, you know what? Okay, whatever. <laughs> Remember the first time I finished the game, I look up, I'm like, my score is less than zero. I'm like, I guess Mike's going to beat me. This time. <laughs> like who gets negative scores? It's crazy. Yeah. It's very strange. And then, and, and once you complete that level, now we're, now we moved on to, to a puzzle level. And again, the only common element between the levels is you and this weird turtle thing. And then it's a, it's a map level. And I, if I recall, there was something like this and I guess it would be later on. This was an 85. So it would have been the same year as a, a dragon's lair. And I don't know which borrowed from what, but there's a level in dragon's lair where Dirk, is that his name? I think so. To, yeah. Has to run across the floor. That's like the patterns are changing. And if he steps on the wrong square, you get zapped. You have to start over and, and you get sort of a similar mechanic here only as you're running across the floor, you don't get zapped. They zap the turtle, so that makes you feel bad for for hurting <laughs> no. the turtle if you don't do well. I I just feel guilty for playing it. Well, and I at first it was at the, and the first I kept thinking, well, okay, I'm I'm supposed to go on these because I thought I was getting points for. It. I'm like, okay, this part goes. Let me go over to that, and then I realized, oh, I'm torturing my turtle. Right. I guess I, I'm supposed to avoid those pits. I thought because little sounds come up, I'm like, oh, good, I'm being rewarded for hitting those. And it turns out, oh no, I'm losing points and I'm torturing my own turtle buddy. I'm like, oh, sorry, Charlie. Maybe that's why they named it Sorry Charlie because you feel sorry for everything <laughs> that's happening you in the game. This game. But at least, I mean, mm. at least I was happy in that level, which would sometimes be the second level you play. Again, levels come in weird orders, but I liked the fact that it did at least introduce something that was a little slower pace. I liked the fact when you're going through basically what worked to be a maze. So it was one of the first levels where you kind of at least can figure out what the goal is because the rest of these levels are so strange. So at least here it's like, okay, I got to get from point A to point B. You have a weird maze floor thing basically and just and avoid the parts that are going to shock and kill your turtle so we're okay. Next level, we it's the only level I think that looked like it might have been a Williams level because we're basically going into, I guess – Think of it like a big space invaders, except instead of a whole bunch of space invaders, there's just the one big invader and he's using his wiggly legs to knock back his shots at you. And now you've got those Williams sort of streaky lasers. So Mm -hmm. it's like, aha, at least now we've got the Williams sound, the Williams streaky lasers. That kind of orange and red color scheme. Yeah, because it was so hard to figure out, okay, you just have the one big enemy and his little little weekly legs and i'm like <laughs> try to shoot between them and i'm like okay this is weird but at least now i'm first of all i'm thinking why do i have now a laser like suddenly i've picked up this crazy this crazy armament from nowhere and why am i back outdoors fighting this massive single wiggly space invader but at least now i'm, I'm on familiar territories with the williams sound with the williams more like music and the streaky color lasers which i actually i like that effect i agree this is probably the one level where the graphics didn't just drive me nuts. And uh, now I don't know about you, but I think probably the combination of of guilt over what I was doing to the characters on the game, uh, and just the fact that I was terrible at it. This I I could only get to about four through about four boards. Like you said, they keep changing, so it's you're never going to get the same sequence of boards mm-hmm. uh, with each with with each playthrough. But I could get to about four. I could get to about here, and then I would die every time. Yeah, was, I would typically. So, I, it took me forever to ever get past this level, which seems like the simplest level, but it's just like you don't know what to do. It's just a big blob slowly comes down and crushes you. And like, it took me forever to figure out how to shoot between the legs and stuff. And it's just you know a weird, weird level. But I found typically this is as far as I could get when when this level would come up, and then it would like. All I could know from a lot of future levels were just things I would see from videos online. Like I would see samples of levels that I could never get to. Like the Frogger level basically, but you're controlling the cars now trying to run over your own turtle. Like when did that happen? Your turtle gets away from you and you're trying to rush them down. There's the, the mappy level where you're essentially, instead of a mouse being run by a cat, you're like this now 
Charlie's really tiny and you're running away from these giant vacuum cleaners. I'm like, when does that level come up? Like, there's so many things I never even got to get to in this game. Yeah, so it's not a totally random experience. I think they probably have like five or six sort of like levels that they would consider easy. And those are the ones that you see early on. And as you progress further through the game, then they start mixing in the more difficult ones and phasing out the easier levels because I never saw the harder levels at all. So, Well, the problem I, as well was like the controllers. I'm trying to play this in MAME. And we uh, yeah. don't have access to most of the controllers and the control mechanisms you're supposed to have when you play this thing, because it's the weirdest cabinet ever. So it makes it hard to play in MAME. Well, this is the only one. This The fourth level was the only time I remember having, well, that fourth level was the only time that I remember having to use the spinner at all. And, <clears throat> and the third joystick, I, I, I guess that was for, for later on in, in, the, in the levels, because I never touched that. Nope, never, never at all. Never at all. For me, it was just, try- but trying to use multiple joysticks and the buttons and occasionally a spinner. I mean, talk about like a Franken cab and the various things you have to get at. Even just figuring out level to level, what the heck controls am I supposed to have my hands on to play would be the first challenge. I felt kind of like, you know, when you're, when you're a kid, um, I guess they don't really do this anymore. Uh, after 9-11 but you know it used to be if you were a kid and you could you get on an airplane and the pilots would show you the control the control the cockpit and the control panels and stuff and i remember like being eight year old eight years old and just seeing panels and panels and panels and controls and imagining myself like paging through manuals trying to figure out how to land this this airplane and that's sort of what i felt like playing this video game like you know i i, I didn't see a manual for this on archive.org and and maybe that would have simplified things but i i just was so confused at like at how this all came together so uh a very frustrating experience uh i i get that they were going for something completely different this was in 1985 and and all of the tried and true form tri, tried and true formulas had been tried and were true to the point where nobody was playing them anymore and they were desperate for new ideas to generate quarters i guess and this is kind of what they came up with and they came up with let's have a whole bunch of ideas put them all in the same cabinet and just hey this level will need a spinner great put a spinner on there hey this level's gonna need a trackball okay we'll have that too yeah what if i were konami or or williams or bally i'd be i'd be suing to make sure that the other company got credit for this thing (laughs) we did not make this game and we want the court to say so (laughs) maybe that's what the lawsuit was really about (laughs) so i mean there's so many there's so many weird elements to the cabinet, so many weird elements to the game. I mean, you play this game, and, and every time I would play it, I would think, this is the strangest game ever. But then it sort of matches. Of course it's odd when you're dealing with a cabinet that has this many controllers, has this many options to it. Um, right down to that, like, you've got most of your buttons, many, many buttons on the control panel, and then, like, the big drop buttons on the side, where you'd basically be thumping the cabinet as hard as you could to to, uh, to unlock your, your, I guess, your jump power. But that, of course, meant people were, like, beating on and kicking cabinets. I mean, this is sort of notorious for cabinets to get basically pushed over as people are trying to play the machine. I kept waiting for the thing to light up and say tilt as i'm banging on it i just very strange but it uh, i'm mean, obviously you know it's it's different to to play it on mame than than in the arcade but it, there was never any indication that that you weren't supposed to pound on this thing as hard as you could and and you know I, i've never seen a, a a four player a four joystick per player game before but but and and each joystick had slightly different trigger controls on it which it drove me nuts and Exactly. Well, that's the weird thing. And you're trying to play this in MAME and thinking, okay, well, I'm, I'm trying to use my XRK big stick thingy. Right. You and it's even... the first thing we play. It doesn't have enough controls. <laughs> yeah. And you can even, the great thing about the XRK and, and joysticks like it, especially like the dual where you have two sets of controls is you can, you can slave them together so that you can use all of the controls for one player with the right MAME configuration. Even with that, I, I really had a hard time once mm-hmm. you get later in here and you're, you know, and you've got the, the the two spinners because you got the one spinner that that's the standard you know uh, knob that you turn left and right and then you have the other one what was that game that we played a while that had the other kind of spinner it was like a roller kind oh, of built yeah, in the cab um, major havoc right you, you got so that here we have a normal spinner with. and we've got a roller cabinet and you've got the I guess it, in total five joysticks right so it was I I don't know um, it, I I so that and that's just the controls at Carrington I'm sure that the cabinet is just as weird. Please. Cabinet's a mess. I Tell mean, me. ca- well, because first of all, you've got me. Uh, the, you know, I'm a big fan of the artwork. Mm. So, and we have full side art artwork. That's 
good, except the artwork was like this vinyl cutout stuff from this cheap plastic. Yeah. And the game, of course, being an 85, and to run all this stuff, this crazy, I guess it's three PCBs. So the heat of the game would essentially melt the art, and it slowly <laughs> runs down the side Whoa. of the cabinet. So, of co- And of course, the art's only on the one side, because the left side had that little door um, for player two. And so we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But we've got the, the, the marquee is hand-drawn. And so I guess the idea was it's supposed to be like, oh, you know, this cabinet's so different and it's going to give it what they call in the the manual here, a bespoke look. So something a little handmade. But instead, it just means the rushing of these cabinets and a lot of the original cabinets. First of all, original cabinets can have the name spelled wrong because <laughs> they do it by hand. But often they did that thing where you start writing too big and but halfway through you realize it's not going to fit so the letters get smaller and smaller and smaller. <laughs> and then on two cabs that I could find, the only two I ever found that actually still seem to be around and basically could sell, the IE at the end of Story Charlie was written on the side of the cab because it couldn't fit because they're doing it by hand. I mean, what kind of what kind of thinking is this? So you've got on the this massive wraparound control panel, got all these joysticks, the trackball, the two spinners, got that foot pedal that on the bottom that's basically acting like as a bellows it's supposed to be. I don't know about you. I was just trying to use my mouse essentially with my elbow to try yeah, to do that. I, but I, I set just, up my trackball to do that. It was crazy. I was like, what the heck? And trying to get the stuff for the, for the pump-up levels. And the combination of four-way and eight-way joysticks and then the one trackball, which is only used for two-way movement, though. So I guess that's... Oh, I get, you know what? That would have been that one roller trackball. That's why my yeah. trackball wasn't working. Anyway, the, I guess the biggest thing about the cabinet, of course, is the door on the left side. So that's where player two enters. And I guess it was the first half-environmental, half-normal cabinet because of how player two actually is inside the cab looking at the mirror so they can see the monitor on the inside. But the big thing online was, of course, people, if they didn't know about the second player option, would just assume that it must have, like, amazing digitized speech or something. But really, it's some dude inside the cabinet playing. And you've got that one joystick that basically pierces through. So if player two's inside playing the middle joystick on the outside you're gonna see it move so it's like is it a haunted joystick you're fighting with them with that fire joystick in the center i mean just just totally crazy and and when you get to the big space invaders thing every time it flashes it had those those light up um fluorescent bars on the inside so they would flash but of course when it lights up on the mirror you're now seeing the face of player two on top of the monitor so it would freak people out right so you try to play this game and suddenly there's a little dude inside who's been talking to you and moving a joystick and knocking on the side of the cabinet and the whole thing's a mess i mean it is really the strangest game in the history of arcades i think yeah and uh, no wonder no wonder that didn't do well maybe it would have done well i don't i don't know in 1985 <laughs> if you were in, a, in an arcade at that point you were probably looking for anything to play because this is well after the crash and a lot of them had closed and uh, but again, it was only on the market for for it was only in arcades for a few weeks before before the the injunction just shut the whole thing down. So. Well, it never came to Canada because of that whole lawsuit of that guy who basically got trapped inside it um, and basically cooked. Yeah, and then there was that fire, right? Exactly. So, and people, you know, wiggling the joystick or fighting against player two, and then basically tipping over their cabinet. So it's a pretty pretty dangerous cab to have in your arcade anyway. But when you're dealing with a game that takes essentially at the end of the day, if you count them all up, eight joysticks i guess plus the trackballs and spinners and a foot pedal and a guy inside the cabinet it's a kind of crazy game and crazily expensive and and handmade stuff with the art not fitting and other art sloughing down the side as it melts we're dealing with a fairly obscure and fairly strange game here i I wonder if i collected one of these today if i were able to get a hold of one would it come with a guy inside i mean would that be part of the price or i don't know if you could even fit because i guess it's designed for people were i think a lot smaller in 85 i don't know if i could even crawl inside this thing had that little seat you're supposed to sit on and looking in the mirror and controlling your little joystick and the other foot pedals inside there, but maybe I'll get strange a strange cabinet. Maybe I'll get an orangutan and see what happens if I put it in there. Uh, so I don't know about price-wise. I can never find any that sold because it's so crazily rare. Only a couple of museums have it. And I mean, where are you ever going to get one of these things? Yeah, I can just imagine seeing, I, did, I saw the, the photos that I saw online were kind of, you know, from that era. I haven't seen anything modern. And so they were basically like scans of Polaroids and things like that. And so they mm-hmm. were, you know, not great. It looks to me like this thing was just bristling with controls. I'm seeing like six, seven, eight, nine, ten joysticks here and a bunch of spinners, and that's just from this one angle. So Exactly. Um, and then you got the ones on the inside and stuff. So Yeah, I, I kinda I kinda want this just to see what see what it would look like up close. 
Well, I mean, you could essentially just guess, just buy a whole bunch of cabinets and wire them all together <laughs> because like, it's basically them all it's together. just <laughs> bristling. Which it looks like a hedgehog of joysticks Crazy. sticking out everywhere. Yeah. So when you're trying to play in MAME, it's essentially almost impossible to play in MAME. I was just randomly hitting things and wiggling, and I would watch the screen and I would weep at the terrible things that are happening to either my turtle or that 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 haunting ice cream cone guy ripping out his own head. I'm like, why am I playing this game? This game is so painful, and I can't possibly have enough joysticks. There are not enough joysticks in the world to play this stinking game. Did you weep over your score, Carrington? I might as well, uh, because we've talked about negative, and I might as well jump out here and say, I never once played a game and got a positive score. I actually ended up, at the end of the day, the best I ever did was negative 22,400. So my best score was in the hole. Well, see, now, yeah, I don't know how to measure this as, as good or bad, because... I played, and as I played a couple of times during gameplay, I would get up to maybe 300, 500 points. But at the end of the game, it was well into the negative every single time. And, and, and like you, I, I, got, I got a negative 18,040 points. But I don't know if that's better than yours. Well, technically it is. Or, or you did beat so, me. You, you, I got about 3,000 points less than you. <laughs> but hmm. we're both in the negative. I also would occasionally, near the beginning, have scores that were in positive numbers. But then your turtle would go and do something stupid. Or you would you know, step over your own turtle baby spider thingies when you back up. And lose a bunch of points as they cry and go into the sand. Or try to burrow back in the side of you. And, and I would be back down to the negatives. So hmm. what can you do? All I know is that neither of us would have gotten the – I mean, I guess that's the thing we haven't mentioned yet. But the, the one of the things that was the downside of this, and I think if it wasn't for the fact that it was crazy expensive and people could get trapped inside it and it would fall over and occasionally burst into flames and needed 100 joysticks. If it, even without that, there was the fact that the game essentially has a game-ending bug, which is if you beat the game, if you can get through all eight levels – then that's the only person who gets to put their initials in the game. Like if you finish and you actually win, you win the game, you put your initials in, and then that's what the game displays from then on. It displays the initials, I have been beaten, and that's it. The game stops working. I mean, arcade people obviously would have been freaking out about that. You spend all this money, one person wins, and now the game no longer functions. So, so basically has a prom burner in there that burns the score in one time and that's it. Into that and chip. that's it. Wow. So, I mean, that's also... <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, what Not can a lot to like about Sorry Charlie. No. I mean, I like the fact that we haven't played a lot of games that take 12 or 13 joysticks. I think it's 13, so 13 joysticks. So mm -hmm. that's exciting. And that really s separates out and, you know, the number of spinners and things involved. So that makes it interesting, but makes it nearly impossible to play in MAME. Yeah, it was it was a struggle the whole time. And maybe maybe having the cabinet uh, would be a different experience playing it in the arcade where you're – where not only are you dealing with the these controls, but you're you know you're taking swings and punches at at, at player two who's standing there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it would be different, but for yeah. me, it was just ultimately an exercise in frustration and and, and what the the heck is this? And that is sorry, Charlie. <sighs> Gosh, and man, I'm sorry we played this game. Well, at least it's something different. I suppose. Let's get back to something a little more traditional, Carrington. I agree. What could that be, Mike? Why, here it is, Carrington. Well, that was an exciting episode. It was an episode, that's for sure. I think we're going to entitle this episode 16 Joysticks, the, the Tale of Sorry Charlie. I'm good with that. And everybody, remember to enter our contest to win the awesome Space Paranoids poster. Just send us email or Twitter or Facebook or what have you proving that you've seen the movie. Or just head over to monsterfeet.com where you will find a link to enter the contest. Have a good week, everybody. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com, and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. <laughs>